recording? We are. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, our mind on music. Is that cute? Da, 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 da. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> From the Crystal Gondola in the beautiful surroundings of SIS School and SIS Campus. Sorry. One of them. Yes. We have several. Yes. Okay. This is our mind on music. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. This is your mind on music. Our minds is collective. I collective. Think. I am because we are. Shortest poem ever written, you know? Shortest poem ever written? Yeah. I don't know. Muhammad Ali. You, me, we. Wow. Deep. Facts. That's a great way to start. Thank you. Today we're talking about ways to make money making music. So, first of all, what do you do for a living? Other than podcasting? <laughs> yes. Other than... <laughs> I'm, a music, one I'm a music teacher yes. in this here international school. So, we're in... Uh, Shenzhen right now, Shenzhen, China, and this is uh, Shuko International School where I'm, I teach music to grade 6 to grade 10 students, and you. Uh, I uh, am <clears throat> a uh, musician uh, for since I was a little kid, but currently we have, uh, for the last 17 years in Shenzhen, in Shuko SeaWorld, have had a live music venue that we've operated. What's the name of the venue? Um, the Terrace. <laughs> In Chinese, that's lutai. Okay, so one way to make money making music mm -hmm. is to get your own bar, mm -hmm. invest in it, and that way you can never be fired as a musician. Have you ever met anyone who did that? I can't think of anybody <laughs> off the top of my head, but as long as the people keep coming to your bar... There you go. You know, I suppose the people could fire with their wallets. That's true. Right? If you were not doing a good job, yes. they'd stop going. That's right. Yeah. So Leon is a musician and band leader. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I think is really interesting because I've never been in a band with a band leader per se, you know? It's Yeah, because the role kind of came up when we were in Qingdao. The guy wanted me to be the leader of the band, to take responsibility for the band. The guy being the owner of the The bar. owner of the part that we were playing in at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's kind of where I cut my teeth. And there with that band, because a great, great bunch of musicians is where I really got into like music arranging and making sure the song lists were in the right order, how to play to the crowd. Pretty much everybody in the band sings. Mm -hmm. Uh, so who to, who to sing what and, and which? Do you arrange the harmonies yourself, or do you, I don't? I don't particularly arrange it, but I would be there to say, well, give my thoughts on it, you know, one way or the other. Okay. So I have arranged them. Mm -hmm. um, you and I were talking about Bohemian Rhapsody the other mm -hmm. day. Yeah. You know, all I did for that. There's this guy. I think he's Italian. Has a video on YouTube where he breaks every part down, okay. and I just said, okay, you take this, you take this, you take this, you take this. Okay, and they they went home. They did it, and it worked. It's nice. So that's so that's it. One difference from uh, what you do as a band leader, where when I go to the terrace and I, I hear you guys playing, I'm expecting to hear from most of the songs at least a very true recreation of the original, but in a, a live setting. A lot of people setting. do. A lot of yeah. people do. You know, like for, just for example, we do a lot of Chinese songs. Yeah. And back in the day is when I got in the habit, back in Qingdao, mm -hmm. uh, which was, you know, in another lifetime almost. That was the band where I sort of got into making those Chinese songs into mine. You know, I remember the first time I heard you do Yue Liang Dai Biaowodishin. Yeah. Yeah. Because you in do a, like a blues version. It, it, Georgia On My Mind. It's almost exactly the same chord progression it's as amazing. Georgia On My Mind. I've always played that. Like, I haven't played that song many, so many times. So it's a 12-8. 
or six. Every time I played it, I played your version of it. Is that right? <laughs> Just for anybody who wants to know, if you know the song, it's uh, It's very straight, yeah. very thing. And my version is like That's even more straight than I do it. Yeah. I, I love it because you start off with that like bluesy piano thing yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, I showed that to um, when I was living in Kazakhstan. I was in a band there, and I showed it to some friends who wanted to do a Chinese New Year celebration, partially for the Chinese families that were living there, but also for other people living there to know what Chinese New Year is and stuff. So we got together a group of people and we started singing that song, and they were like, "Oh, this is a really nice song." And I said, "But I know this guy." <laughs> Who does this version of it? <laughs> and and I so I talked them into it, and we did we did your version of it. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah. Wow! Yeah, it was really cool. That's pretty cool. So, two things. One, I want to talk about something that's different with the way that you guys, as a professional bland, band, <laughs> not bland, bland, not bland at we all. We are the bland band. <laughs> We're not very exciting. Remember though. the five neat guys. <laughs> SCTV, yes, be like that. We could be like that. SCTV, that's neat. The bland band. <laughs> it's really soothing. <laughs> so, so when you guys arrange, people go and like sometimes you do your own version of a song, and you do that on purpose to like you know have something different, like the, your version of Satisfaction by the Stones, right? There's a rap. There's a rap part in their version of Satisfaction. I wrote a rap, a rap part. It's. I got into my, you know, my inner rap self. I don't know, but honestly, it's one of my favorite covers that you guys do. But usually, you guys are trying to make it sound pretty similar to the original, so that people can dance and sing along with it. Yeah, we do. Whereas with my with my students, my main job is I see it as not performance as much as it is the the learning of. Songwriting, arranging, yes, all of those things. So when I approach a song that the students pick, right, they choose almost all the all the repertoire that they do, right. Which so as it's a, still a cover song, but right. But as a choir teacher, yeah, they bring to me um, "Can't Stop the Feeling" by Justin Timberlake, right? Yeah, and you like, can't stop that feeling. I just can't, you know. No matter how you can't try, can't stop the, can't stop the, can't stop the, <laughs> can't stop the. <laughs> so, but what I do is I I teach them how to recognize the major and minor chords or seventh chords or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. They actually extended it a little bit in that song. They did a, a, a B flat nine chord. Nice. Yeah, it was really cool. Anyway, so I teach them how to recognize those chords and then they decide for uh, soprano, alto, tenor, and bass, who's gonna sing the notes. My goal is not to make it sound like Justin Timberlake's version of his song. Right. It's for those kids to understand how chords yeah. are created. Let me ask you this. When you're going through that process with them, mm -hmm. are, are there times when they or you specifically try to hide the song in a motif that you know keeps it mysterious until it comes to a more recognizable part of the song? Not always, but we have done that. What's the song that Ed Sheeran did that later he sang with Beyonce? Somebody yeah. listening to this already knows the answer and is going, can't you guys hear me? I know, but I'm not going to say I it. thought this was our mind. <laughs> You said. <laughs> anyway, we did that song and we started off just singing the chords in harmonies, you know, a cappella. So I, I give a chord and then they just sing, dun, 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 you know? Yeah. 
and and they just did this really nice harmony and then one of the kids comes out and does a solo of the first verse over top of that yeah, see so a little bit of trickery yeah i mean mostly it's about i want people in the audience once we get to that point of performing i want them to recognize that this is the kids our whole group vision of what that song was going to be right and yeah. then the kids walk away going i arranged an ed sharon song uh -huh. that's pretty cool you know nice and so that's a that's a difference between what we do because you're not trying to teach your bandmates about, about no no about theory or about uh, song composition or anything right. like that. No. They they don't need to know that they're singing a B flat. They just need to hit it. Yeah, and they they need to come actually they need to come prepared. Right. Rather than me saying, you know, I may I may I may give them some notes ahead of time. I may say we're going to do try a little bit different. Think about think about how we can rearrange this section of the song or. You know, but really, they don't go home with show notes. Right. They just they just take the original version. We come to it, and then we might jam and do it a slightly different. But yeah, totally okay. different. So, um, so what we're going to talk about is ways that you can make money in the music industry today, now, mm -hmm. um, given the way that the industry has changed like live music for venues like the terrace for example mm -hmm. there are less and less places that want to do that or want to pay out the money to do that mm -hmm. right lots of bars st still want a, a band to be there for friday and saturday night but they want to pay you in beer right you know yeah or they um, pay you from the door you know they'll, they'll have a door amount there's some places here i don't know if they're still doing that well but before covid they did very well which was they were literally a stage and seating so they were kind of like a small concert venue Okay, and uh, bands would rent those out, and they would charge tickets on their own. It was a rental, and then plus a portion of their ticket sales went to the venue, okay. and then the band keeps the rest of it. Yeah. One of them was called A10, and the other one was called B8. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think C6 will be next. See, I always thought, interestingly, I always thought if I was going to have a bar in China, I would call it Nine Eight. Okay. Bar. Why? How do you say nine? In. Oh, Joe Ba! Oh, you clever yeah. dude! Yeah. You so Joe Ba. Means, that means that means bar. And yeah. nine eight is Joe Ba, right? Am yeah. I saying it right? And actually, the tones are almost identical. Yeah. So so I just you clever guy. Yeah. You yeah. look at that, eh? Always Joe thinking. Ba. Nobody. Let's let's start a, let's start a venue like that. There you go. So, so there, you got a list, and I've got a list. So you've got one called Musician with a Day Job. Musician with a Day Job dot com. Uh, I'm just gonna have a terrace coffee break here. Where's that from again? Terrace <laughs> coffee, Lavazza. Lavazza, really good. So musicianswithadayjob.com. Mm -hmm. They have this website with this really great chart that talks about some of the ways that you can make money in the music business, including performing, but not limited to that. Hang on, just before you get to that. Okay. From the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics. The median pay for musicians and singers, $30 an hour. No entry-level education, no work experience required, long-term on-the-job training. Number of jobs in 2019, 175,000 plus. And that's in the U.S. only? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Job outlook from 2019 to 29, 1%, I, I imagine that's annual, job growth. So in other oh, words, okay. jobs becoming available. When was this published? Because well, two, well, this is 2019, so before COVID. Before COVID, because I, I mean, I'm thinking of um, friends of mine who are musicians or sound guys. Um, but let me ask you this: some of the jobs would have been reduced, but a lot of guys reverted to their home studio or to what we're doing, this kind of thing, 
and started making money that way. If you're a musician, sure, you can do that. Yeah. If you're the sound guy who normally mixes live, mm, yeah, not so much. You're sitting at home. And that's why they were doing like benefit concerts for the sound guys and for the truck drivers. So what would you do? Let's say you were a sound guy and you wanted to buffer against that kind of catastrophe. What could you do? It's a really good question. I mean, my answer to that would be I'd learn how to run something like this. Yeah. So that I could do at least like I could help out as an engineer, possibly cut my teeth a little bit as a producer. Do you know what? Conan's guy. So he's an engineer. He does the editing. He's actually he's the producer of his podcast. OK. But that guy came in during COVID because he had a break because of COVID. OK. So he comes in, he works on the Conan podcast. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he just was funny on his own. He ended up in the podcast. So it became his gig. Yeah. Wow. And See, then he still does the editing. That's the thing. It's like those SWOT analysis things, you know? Right. Um, Strength, weakness, opportunity, and... And threat. Threat. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole idea of doing a SWOT analysis is that you then turn something that's a weakness or a threat into a strength or an opportunity. Oh, I got such a cool story. It's way off topic, though. Forget it. It's... Okay. We could have, like, you know how you got those Easter eggs? I do. And when we publish this podcast, one of the things, as I'm publishing it, I can post a survey question. Oh. So the question for this, for this episode could be, do you want to know what the SWAT analysis story is, or should we just move on? From Leon, yes. Okay. From Leon. Yeah. There you go. And then we could add it to our next podcast. Before we move on with this stuff, I got to say, Spotify posted this question. They, like, tweeted it out, which... I mean, they put out lots of interesting, fun little things, but one of them really caught my attention. It was, what would you list as a cover version of a song that was better than the original? Better than the original? Yeah. Tons. I can think of quite a few. Well, how about uh, Hall & Oates, You've Lost That Love and Feeling? Interesting. Okay. Here's a a controversial one. Okay. The Sound of Silence. Oh, yeah. The, uh, who's who's the man that did that? Disturbed. Disturbed. Yeah, well... Oh, my God. I mean, I, I really love the original. I've always loved Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. But that version is so powerful. It's pretty, pretty Just decent. When he hits those some of those notes, man, from his toes. There's also a guy that did a version of Everlong on piano on YouTube that's unbelievably cool. Well, Tori Amos doing, uh, is it Smell Like Teen Spirit? Yes. She did. Oh, my God. Yes. Tori, I mean, basically anything that Tori Amos touches but is going to sound awesome. But not better in the sense that, like, the original is iconic at on its own and then that came up in the responses I read and that came up a lot I can't say this is necessarily better because the original is so awesome Yeah. but wow what a good cover it kind of depends on what the original was like like in the 80s it was a big deal to take a little known song and remake it mm. but it was cool I'll, well, I'll try to find some of those is it Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush in the 80s it was a hit you know but recently it was in Stranger Things the show oh really and it became a massive hit actually right. Rick Beato gotta do our Rick Beato Rick Beato who's that he's a guy who does something called uh, sounding off with Rick Beato oh really and he also does what makes this song great is he famous oh he's got three million Trey, Trey followers famous. <laughs> we, we're always gonna mention Rick Beato because, hey Rick hey interview us <laughs> no because honestly he's talk. just no we'll just sit here and you can talk around us <laughs> We'll just go like this. It's Rick Beato. <laughs> the guy's amazing. But no, yeah. he does He does a great thing on that, that idea that that song was pretty big, but then when it was in this show. So for kids watching that show, it was a new song. But for those of us who knew the song before, we're like, hey, that's, I remember that song. I mean, that's really good. Okay. What about Hooked on, Hooked on a Classics? Feeling. Oh, sorry. Hooked on the Classics, where they did all these um, 
disco versions of classical music. Did I you remember ever that. Hear that? Not that long Dropping ago. Nuts. I went to the uh, the meeting jazz bar here in Shenzhen in uh -huh. Meeting jazz bar. Is that the one in the equal area? Yeah. Okay. It's the, the one where we the went. One, the one we went okay, to. Okay, cool. Very nice place. Yeah, very nice place. Um, and this guy, and he was doing jazz versions of classical songs. Wow. It was, nice. I would like to hear that. So he was really... How was it? It was really good. Yeah. He was really nervous that what he was doing was like the hooked on classics jazz no, version. Not at all. It wasn't at all. And it was funny because I was talking to him. I said, you know, your style a lot of times sounds a little bit like uh, Vince Gerald. And he was like, he didn't, he wasn't sure I was talking about. It. And I said, uh, have you heard of Bill Evans? You know, Bill Evans? Of course. Yeah. 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 So, and I was like, picture a guy not playing Charlie Brown, <laughs> but that same style, you know, like, right. He was playing this really cool stuff. A lot of times he was playing the melody with his left hand in the oh, in the bass, wow. right? And I, I have a lot of trouble with that, man. I said to the guy, I said, wow, that must have taken you a lot of work, a lot of training. Left-handed? Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just clued in. It's got to be left-handed. I never even thought of it. I just, yeah. I was like... He's Paul McCartney. I was like, that's amazing. Like, I've, I've never even thought of doing that. But now that I've thought about it, I'm going to have to go home and try that. Yeah. Playing the melody with my left and playing the chords with my right. And he said, well, I'm left-handed. It's just easier. In, in in the stuff that we play, the pop music, it's not a thing. Because you're you're generally doing octaves or a single bass note or a, very rarely you're going to do a triad. Yeah. You're definitely not going to be doing any moving moving notes. Very right? rarely. You're yeah. just supporting. You're supposed to stay out of the way of the bass. Your decision is going to be, am I going to play a fifth, an octave, or a single note? Exactly. And you have to make sure you're not stepping on the bass player's toes. Yeah. And or the guitar player or whatever he's doing. Yeah, right? Which usually is your right hand when you're playing the chords. Yeah. Often. Stay out of the way. Stay out of the way, right? Okay, so ostensibly we were talking about making money. <laughs> okay. How to make money in music. So this is the episode about how to make money in the music business and this chart was done in 2020 right when i think at that point a lot of people in 2020 had to find other ways to make money in the music business because live performances couldn't happen because of covid right but still it says here out of the people that this website interviewed 28 percent were touring doing live shows and they were making money from performance fees okay this is people who have a day job and they're playing like in the evenings, weekends and stuff like that. His comment at the beginning is we see that most musicians make money from performing. Okay, which is 28%. But kind of shocked me. The next percentage was teaching 22%. Yeah. Not a lot less. I'm curious about why that is and how that is. I know that in my case, when I was, you know, uh, in my, my teen years and I was in bands and stuff like that, I envisioned as we were writing songs and recording in the studios and stuff like that, I was going to be the next big thing, right? Right. You know, and I saw people in Toronto, Sven Galli was there, and then other bands who people may or may not have, have heard of. I mean, the Tragically Hip was was playing. I remember one, one of my cool moments that I just kind of patted myself on the shoulder. We played at this, we played at the Opera House in Toronto, mm -hmm. and the poster from the previous week was still there. It was the Hip. That nice. had played at that same venue, you know? Yeah. And I thought that was so cool, right? Not like I met them, not like I was anywhere near their levels of of success. Yeah. But I was on the stage that they had just played. But it gives you it gives you something to to aspire to, right? Right. But then, you know, over time there were a couple of things that happened. We didn't get that big record deal break or something that we were looking for at the time, right? And also I started to realize that there's there are two words in music business. One is music, which I love, and then there's business. Mm -hmm. 
and I didn't like the business of the music. You know, mm -hmm. I. That's not to say that if I had been offered a record deal, I would have said no, thank you. I don't. I don't think this is oh, my cup of tea. Please. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Are you kidding me, Warner? Who? <laughs> well beyond that. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then, it's interesting because the band that, that I played in, Witch Hazel, was kind of the biggest biggest band that I played in back in the day. Okay. And uh, great band. They were they were really good. And I I got to do the the two keyboard stack. For me, the epitome of the whole night was Cashmere by Led Zeppelin. I love that song because you, you know you got to do all the electron sounds and everything. Just a chromatic thing. For me, that when the Tea Party came out back in the day, the fact that they in integrated that kind of stuff was a huge influence. I wrote a bunch of songs that had that kind of... It sounds like you could equally play it on a sitar or something. You yeah, know, like that, it's you know? very... I mean, like, it, kind of East Indian yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, sound. But um, but anyways, we had... Everyone in the band had their thing, okay. right? We even had a... Uh, we had a black bass player, but we were doing, like, rock. Okay. Right. So, I mean, at the time, that would have been a complete contrast. Right. Well, so we had the, you know, that guy. And then the guitar player was your typical kind of a, he was more of a Bon Jovi kind of. Okay. So he'd be more like Richie Sambora, I guess. But he okay. looked like bon, John Bon Jovi a lot. And the lead singer was more of a, he was a big guy and he had a really high voice doing the journey stuff. Okay. Nice. And um, the drummer was just a pounder, mm. you know, so everybody had their, their thing. Yeah. And I didn't know what to be because okay. I my hair was fairly long, but I wasn't like a rock and roll keyboardist. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah. So I just sort of like the white jacket on with the little hearts on the sleeve here. And <laughs> <laughs> I just I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Right. And we didn't have anybody guiding us along the way. You know, we were just sort of. Well, for me, I mean, the way that I saw it, it's funny because what you're saying is like it would have been nice to have somebody to guide yep. you. Right. For For us, the way that I saw that, I was like. You know, there's another thing too, too, which is like I admire bands like the Tragically Hip, where they just they're not concerned with an identity. I think that's that's you know? where I was coming from. I didn't see it like how great that we have guidance. I saw it like this is killing the whole point of this, which is to just get better at playing good music, you know, and writing music. You know, it's funny because I was writing back in the day, and when I was 20 or 21, I was writing for something mm -hmm. whereas a little bit later i just started writing whatever whatever came up whatever felt right mm -hmm. you know yep and just doing it and and i started to learn that you have to or i have to anyway i don't know some people may may disagree with me but i think for me i had to write a bunch of stuff and throw away the crap and keep the good stuff mm -hmm. and you know i think when you're talking about making money making music um there are the conservative ways that are sort of, you know, set in stone. Teaching is is one example. Yeah. Live is another one, but it's it's a little bit more. As long as you've got a rehearsal space, as long as you've got a group of guys that can or people that can work together, mm -hmm. um, you know, and there's venues to go to and play at, you know, great. But I I would say the, nowadays, that's not as much. And I bet you that percentage in the '80s. Would have been closer to fifty or sixty percent. Yes, yeah, I'm sure it dropped. And it's become easier to play like just one person on stage and have a really full sound. I mean, just the live looping. Right. I don't remember if we talked about this in. We talked about episode. it, Sharon. Right. Not in the yeah. episode, but I think just you and I talked. Right. So he does the live looping thing and really amazing at doing that. So much so that that was kind of his gig for a while. Right. So to make money making music. Oh. 
would you agree you still have to be great at what you do absolutely and and we talked we did talk about that in the last episode because you were asking me with technology do you have to be as good and stuff mm -hmm. like that and i was saying well you still have to be great it doesn't matter how many toys they put in front of us if we have pro tools or if we have garage band or if we have an old my mom's old cassette recorder whatever yeah. you still have to have a great song to begin with so that brings us to money from songwriting slash composing holy smokes is that still a thing how much is that six percent yeah right i bet you that was a huge number in the in the, even in the 90s well you talked about the brill building at one point yeah like it was Lieber and Stoller right there was a whole team of songwriters right and that's what that's what they did all day yeah well Carol, the Carol King punch the card yeah Start. all right hi Jerry hi Jerry <laughs> morning Ralph morning Ralph morning Sam <laughs> the wolf and the coyote oh man protecting Just the sheep <laughs> killed me even when I was a little kid oh I was my like, god that so is funny. so funny <laughs> time's up can I, Ralph. can I buy you a coffee <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so... Carol King. Carol King was a songwriter. And Stoller. Lieber and Stoller. Lieber and Stoller. Was, uh, Jerry, no, Mike. The, the guys that wrote for Jerry, Elvis. Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. Right. Those were the guys. And then Carol King. And we could go on and on and on. A lot of those guys, in fact, even later, um, Ashford and Simpson. Oh, yeah. Ashford yeah. and Simpson, who didn't have a massive career as Ashford and Simpson um, performers, but songwriters, they wrote tons of songs. Yeah. Prince... I mean, the number of songs that Prince wrote for other people that people don't realize, like Manic Monday. There's a whole album of those songs now. I think the album is his versions of those songs, either demo or his version. His version of Nothing Compares to You? Yes. With Rosie Gaines? Yes. Oh, my. Wow. The first time I heard that. So I, is that a cover? Interesting. That, because <laughs> when it came out, I loved Sinead O'Connor's version of that song. Yeah. And in the video, when she cried and that whole thing, I mean, video. Yeah was still a big influence on our perception of the song sure you know? but yeah so she she that's a really good point like if if the if you first, write the song the person records it and then you do a version of it later your own version wow <laughs> so okay so that's the the leaves the this um hey joe jimmy hendrix so jimmy hendrix did hey joe blew up became a big hit where you going with that gun in your hand but the the Leaves were the first band to record that song. And before that, there were like folk groups doing it and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Acoustic versions. So Hendrix sort of took the two versions. Because the Leaves, do you know the band I'm talking about? No. Go on to, go on to YouTube and just I look. I will not. Okay, go on to Google. <laughs> okay. What is your preferred, what is your preferred source for listening to stuff? Okay, okay, I'll go on YouTube. <laughs> Please. <laughs> And you'll find us on there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so the leaves, they were like the the kinks kind of sound, almost like the precursor to, to punk music, you know? Oh, yeah. A pretty heavy version, and I right. had never heard that. So that was an earlier version, but when I heard it, I was comparing it to what actually was the cover. Right. But theirs was, in my mind, the cover. Wow. That's that's uh, that's a whole other topic, eh? Yeah. Michael Bolton, he's a big songwriter gone performer yeah you know so he's probably had that experience as well like tons of people did his songs got popular in his late 30s eh? yeah so there's still chance for us we still can yeah we're very close to th late 30s now so how else can we make money let's find music. out so there's salary as an employee of a symphony a band oh. or an ensemble how much is how many percent of that 19 percent wow 
So that's almost as many as teachers. And that's interesting because having this conversation with my son recently, you know, they what's just he happen. into now? He plays the violin. He's been playing for about two years. And do you know what? My son said something the other day. I got to tell you this. Okay. Keep hold your thought. This that's I got really it hard. No, I have to. I can you hold it? it? Okay, I got just it. Hold it me. in. I know you can do it, Jeremy. Got it. Hold it. Go. Go. Okay. Lincoln says to me the other day, "Daddy, play that Billy Joel thing." Oh, proud father moment. Oh my God, where I watch, I, I'll be happy to. It's the angry it's young official. man. Oh man, so it's the Billy Joel thing. He's a good father because his son, who's what seven, he is seven. Yeah, yeah, he knows Billy Joel's music. Okay, Jeremy. Okay. Yes. Unhold your thought. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fly, be free. <laughs> so unhand me. The thought said. What I thought was interesting talking to my son, who is. 12 mm -hmm. he looks at music he plays the violin right and the first time he said that he was thinking that maybe when he grows up he'd like to be a musician i said okay well you know you got to live in a city where there are lots of um, venues restaurants and bars and things like that and he said no i want to play in the orchestra wow and i was like Poof. you know yeah. like mind blown because he wasn't thinking that at all he was like no i want to be in the orchestra i mean if i could be like the first violin, that'd be yeah. awesome. I just want to be in that. I never thought about the going into like orchestra playing and stuff, even though I knew the theory, I could play a couple different instruments. Yeah, never occurred to me. I, I thought I'm either the next Eddie Van Halen or I'm or doing nothing. something else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I thought, no, son of mine, what do you want to cut your hair next? <laughs> you, you, you short hair, non hippie. Yeah, <laughs> You're just like the exact opposite yeah. rebel of what we were. <laughs> That's fantastic. And this is another story, by the way. When you told me about him passing the uh, grade four... Royal Conservatory of Music, yeah. Right. The Glenn Gould School. I've done it. I've done a, is that one of those exams. It's not easy to prepare for. A couple of things about that. First of all, he's been playing for about two years now, maybe a little bit more. And he's he just finished... That exam that he did was the fourth grade one. So yeah. he just kind of went through... But was it the first one he did? Or? It was the first exam he did. See. So he played through all of the repertoire that he needed to, and we just decided not to do the exams at first. And he stood Which is there. Which something you can do. Sure, yeah. yeah. So he stood there. Um, we did it online because we were here in China. Who was his teacher? The school is the Lippert School of Music in Toronto. Oh, so he's doing online? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Ivana Popovic, really great. Like, she's great with him in terms of she she loves what he does, and she, she can see the love for music and the talent and stuff, but she's also, she knows when she has to say, okay, hold on, whoa, let's let's focus, let's bring it back in, you know? Mm -hmm. Really, really good at what she does there. The school itself, Lippert Music Center. Um, L-I-P? L-I-P-P-E-R-T. L-I-P-P-E-R-T? Yeah. Founded Check them out. In, founded in the 1950s, by the way, mm -hmm. by Joe In Lippert. Toronto? Yeah. So before life. that, he hadn't done any music lessons? Yeah, he played piano okay. before that. But he decided that he wasn't loving it, you know. And uh, Ellie has kept going. She's in the eighth grade. Mm -hmm. uh, well, level eight. For the RCM, they call it level eight, sure. not grade eight, I believe. Well, I mean, the next level now is um, the, the ARCT, I think it's called, yeah. which is like the, the college level, yeah, I never university level. Yeah. My daughter is really into K-pop. Mm -hmm. She loves... Um, Blackpink? Yeah. Who just had their comeback album. <laughs> comeback album after how many years <laughs> I don't know like two years <laughs> any K-pop in general she just likes that sound she loves mm -hmm. to, to dance the, the dance she likes the culture 
the whole thing. Actually, she started to learn some Korean words because she wants to understand what they're saying a bit. There you go. And my son has started to listen to that as well. Just, you know, not with the same fervor, but... Wow. That's a whole nother topic. Isn't it? Though? Is like, how did you grow up with music when you were, you know, as compared to what they're growing up with now? Absolutely. I never thought about the going into like orchestra playing and stuff, even though I knew the theory, I could play a couple different instruments. Yeah. Never occurred to me. I, I thought I'm either the next Eddie Van Halen or I'm or doing something else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's something we could talk about, too, is like, keep your options open. Yes. You know, exactly. like give yourself a bunch of options. That's what I love about the fact. If you love music enough to want to make a career out of it then just do that yeah all you have to just do is find something doing, doing it. it i was thinking honestly and i mean it sounds like a joke now but this is really where my mind was and i never thought otherwise and i thought at the time either i was going to be the next eddie van halen or or jimmy page yeah or do something else that was it in fact, I took accounting because I had heard that uh, Mick Jagger had gone to the London School of Business. Is that right? And yeah. I took accounting because I, I didn't want to get ripped off by my accountant, you know, sure. Billy Joel, later on. Terrible twice. stories. Twice. Twice. Right. Give well, it everything I mean, you think I about that, ta- that era as well, especially you being in the MTV Just Starting era, everything was about being a star in those days, right? Sure. And I mean, it is now, but it's different. You know, like, You've got TikTok, YouTube, blah, 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 all these all these things. That's more of being a... A personality. A personality. Uh, or a, a, a social influencer or, you know, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in the 70s, starting in the 70s and then into the 80s, we were going to be musical superstars. That was the goal. Yeah. And the concept, I mean, not that long ago, there was a whole campaign of actors and actresses or, you know, whatever, personalities coming out with, like, no makeup. Not okay, yeah. their hair not not done by like you know a professional and for a lot of people it was like shocking you know to see whoever those people were that were doing that that we were used to seeing them with makeup and stuff and then we saw them without and we're like oh my god now the personalities who are famous on youtube and on instagram and all those things and tiktok and stuff i think about these commentators who talk about video games for example okay yeah. they they don't look like they've done their makeup done their hair done the whole they just Put on some headphones. They watch somebody else playing a game and they comment on it and they have millions of followers. Do you remember the episode of the Flintstones where Dino fell in love with... Oh, yes. (laughs) With a female dinosaur. A female dinosaur who god awful without her makeup. Mel Blanc did all those voices, right? The the (laughs) Dino and... Yes. And I remember on the Jetsons. So, I mean, obviously the same creators had Barbera. But on the Jetsons... They reused a lot of stuff. Yeah. I remember when they had um, Jane Jetson... Jane, his wife, mm-hmm. she answered the video phone, which we thought was the craziest thing. A telephone where you can see people who would have... Holy smokes. Yes. Uh, you know what? It's been that long since I've seen the Jetsons. Well, That's you amazing. Watch that. And that was something that they talked about. And the funny thing was like, what would that look like? So what she did Steve was... Jobs was watching that. She had a she had a she had like a picture that she would hold up in front of her face when she answered the phone because her hair was all over and she didn't have her makeup on. So she had to hold up an image in front of her face right. so that she could talk and it would look like her with her makeup on and stuff like that. And then when she finished the video call, she'd hang up and throw the picture aside. That's fantastic. <laughs> That whole concept. So, so yeah, I agree. I think that there's a whole different idea of what being famous is and what it looks like. And blah, blah, blah. What about the musicians in those cartoons back in the day? Ooh, yeah, yeah right? good point. Yeah. You know, and we've talked about already doing an episode on uh, music for gaming, music for movies, TVs, 
Um, well, Phil Harris was uh, was the quote unquote band leader in the in the Jack Betty show from okay. nineteen. I think he started like 30s? in the late thirties. Yeah. yeah, and he wasn't the band leader. He was an actor. It's almost a hundred years ago, man. Oh my goodness, unreal. 90, 90 some years. That's funny because when I watch TV, Jack Benny still looks really good. He does. He looks quite young. He's 39. Young guy. 39. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, but your point being is that when you were going into it, you know, at the age of 18, 19, 20, you had one goal. That was it. Pretty yes. much. Well, but now you're a music teacher. Mm -hmm. Okay. So was there, I mean, you still <laughs> stayed in music. I, yes. Probably we should go back to the topic of this podcast. No, because you've got a point about Lucas that relates to this. It was the fact that, you know, he'll be one of that, what was the percentage that I said? 19%. 19%. Yeah. He would like to be part of that 19%. Isn't it say something about the classical period too, or, or about classical music in general, that there are still that many people employed? Totally. Doing totally. that. Yes. One one more dumb story from the cartoons. Do you remember the, the so what I remembered was um, the, the, the coyote and the roadrunner. Da, 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 and it was a bomb. Oh, that wasn't the coyote. That, that was. Uh... It, they did it later. What I found out is. Oh. So Lincoln, Lincoln learned this thing because I told him, "Here's the joke." So I showed him the video. The video. There's a composite on YouTube that goes from Yosemite Sam, yeah, Daffy Duck, and Bugs Bunny, and the, and then the coyote. So they repeated that joke about six oh, times. See, I didn't know that. I know it is the Yosemite Sam with with uh, Bugs Bunny. Right. So what it is is he puts uh, dynamite into the or TNT into the piano. Yeah. <laughs> and then like. If you hit the da 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 that note, the high C, it explodes. Right. And everyone plays it wrong. And the guy on the side is waiting for these. And then he loses his patience, goes off, plays it right, and the thing explodes. That's right. Well, Lincoln now, when he's doing the ending to a song, hits two keys together. I used to do that when I was playing keyboards in Out of Bounds in Pickering, I told you about back in the day. I used to do that in between sets, like just sometimes in between songs. Just da 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 we haven't really talked about engineers and all the other things that happen in a studio, but 6% of the people interviewed in this chart are money from sound recordings. Wow, it's that low, eh? No, but hold on. I'm, I'm just thinking now, Is does that include the, the engineers and the producers, or is that from... What does that mean? Do you include engineers and those guys as making money doing music? Of course. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Good. I actually think the engineers, like... The producer comes in and they have the the concept and they like we talked about they manage the whole the whole business thing and the teamwork and the collaboration but the engineers a lot of times if you like even on this digital format here which is actually a lot less forgiving than than real to real was right yeah you know analog you could hit the tape a little bit harder sure and actually we try to analog day. we would try to hit it hard as hard correct, as we could correct exactly especially overload then. it yeah so and for effect, right? Because because analog distortion sounds really nice. Yeah. So if you hit it just at a sweet spot, you can ruin it too. But sure. Whereas here, if we clip it, if we hit in too high a level, 
it sounds terrible. I yeah. mean, it's unusable, yeah. you know, especially in this format where we're just talking. That's why I'm being very careful how I talk. I've been around the world, and I, 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 I can't <laughs> find my baby. Merchandising and sales, 2%. Okay. So I think that's, why is that? Because, uh, I mean, even a small, even a small group, small musician, whatever, if I wanted to make J Van music t-shirts, I would go to a big... You mean like Our Mind on Music t-shirts? That's what I meant. Yes. Right. That's didn't I say that? If we wanted to make <laughs> Oh Mom. Oh Mom. <laughs> oh Mom. If I wanted to make t shirts for this podcast, I would go to a large t shirt maker. I'd go in China here, I'd go into Taobao or yeah. Ali, Alibaba. Alibaba. Yeah. I wouldn't go to somebody who's doing it in the evenings and they work as a as a something else. Right. You know? So that makes sense to me. Session okay. musicians, ten percent. That surprises me. Because, well, wait. You said session musicians, and then you also had another category for music on music from sound recordings. Mm. A session musician is not the same as an engineer in that the engineer, based on this list here, is doing studio sound. Okay. So I want to get back to your story about Lucas. Okay. Because what I, what struck me about your story is that. You were sort of single-minded in your in your in your youth, and I think I was as well. However, both of us kept our options open. Mm -hmm. So, just my experience was, I was in the big rock band. We were touring around uh, Western Canada, and sooner or later, life took over. We weren't getting famous, mm -hmm. and we weren't really even songwriting for that matter. Right. And I decided to settle down in Edmonton. I got a job as a teacher, as a music salesman. Oh, I thought this. I thought mus musician, performing musician, was. The only job you ever had? Uh, well, there was a short period there where I where I didn't do that. I was just teaching and doing sales. And then I got back into performing mm -hmm. maybe a, a year or two later. When I was teaching, we also started up the recording studio, which was a home. It was something similar to this, just reel-to-reel -reel and yeah. the old analog mixing boards and all of that. But it was in the teaching studio where we where we taught, was okay. where this thing was. Yeah. So we actually incorporated that into our, our, our lessons. My point being is that if you're interested in music, as young Lucas is, as I think Lincoln is, as a lot of people out there are, there are a lot of options for making money. And I think reducing yourself to one or the other too early, I, not a good idea. I totally agree with what you said, except the too early part. I think take take that tag off. Just don't reduce yourself to one yeah. or the other. We, we have, so in, in the school here, we've created a course called Digital Creation. And Digital Creation is a course where kids learn about songwriting, arranging, and recording, tracking, right? As a semester course, mm -hmm. right? And we had a couple of kids who signed up for that thinking, well, it'd be really cool to learn how to use the studio and all that kind of stuff. And we had a couple of kids who were classical musicians. They've been learning the violin, the cello, the whatever. And they were like, well, you want me to record stuff like digital music on GarageBand? That's not what I'm about. I actually don't like digital music. Mm -hmm. Like when they say that, they mean like electric dance music kind of music. You know, oh, so they got the impression that, that that meant... That's what that has to be. Okay. And I think the lesson that I learned there was the importance of teaching kids who like any genre. Like how to get their stuff into a... How to record it properly. Because if yeah. I'm... Let's say that I'm a classical guitarist, right? And now I'm trying to get a gig. You know, whatever. If I, if I play the violin and I want to get a job 
even for an orchestra or something like that, they're going to have the modern equivalent of like a, an audition tape. Sure. You know, You're, they're going to want to hear a recording. Especially in this day and age. Sure. They're not yeah. going to want to call every single musician in to hear them live on a stage like they did it for years and years and years. They're going to say, send us an MP3 or WAV file. Yeah, which is probably why <clears throat> back in the day, musicians would all gather in a, in a certain center. Sure. Right. And that's yeah. where and they would have to live there and they'd have to fight it out. Nowadays, you can do what you're talking about. You put it on video, you send it into somebody and they go, hey, I like that kid. Not only you can do that, but it's it's becoming or become it's becoming the norm. It's become an expectation. Yeah. So what we're trying to teach those kids is not just songwriting and arranging, not just this is the, the thing, but how do you apply that to what you love and what you do? Right. Yeah. So I think never allowing yourself to close off your mind to one or the other. Yeah. You know, like if if somebody had said to me when I was 16, how about becoming a music teacher instead? I would have just looked at them like bristled at it. Yeah. Yeah. No way. You know, and now here I am loving this job because I get the chance to do the arranging. I'm scoring stuff, yeah. you know, like I'm You're doing, doing a lot of the stuff that you would have liked to have done. It's the part that I wanted to do anyway. Day, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then I have these moments like I'll never forget the first time I taught a kid how to play a guitar, like literally picked it up, held it backwards, like with the strings on their on their stomach, you know, mm -hmm. and I, no, no, it's this way. You turn it around. And <laughs> the first time after like class after class after class, when they finally hit a D chord yeah. and the sound came out and the kid just went <laughs> bling, and I went, <laughs> I was like, ah, and then you know you see this kid who are about to cry, and I was like, yeah. okay, I like teaching. Yeah, you know, yeah. I never would have considered that possibility at that time. So Lucas wanting to go in the orchestra for me that was like a first step because he was seeing something that he loves and just seeing it a different way. Mm -hmm. But also, I think the fact that for him to sit down at the piano at Ellie's piano and just jam out um, Megalovania and for him to just sit and play with that for an hour, yeah. changing the sounds and stuff like that and him seeing the technology being cool too. Yeah. But then when he really wants to dig his teeth in, he's going to pick up his violin and, yeah. and play Saraband, you know? Yeah. And I think that more than the fact that he chose orchestra over the rock and right. type thing that we, that we were looking at, it's the fact that he thinks those things can happen at the same time. He can still love Imagine one Dragons. Yeah, one doesn't preclude the other. Yeah. yeah. So I think this list here and what we're talking about in terms of how to make money in the music world these days. Oh, wow, we finally get to the point here. Holy cow. <laughs> Three hours later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Money from sound recordings. Like, there's nothing like... Okay, when David Bowie was, was recording... Um, was it uh, uh what was the one that he got his his saxophone player to come uh, his saxophone teacher to come in and play let's dance no this was early days this oh, early. was uh he was recording somebody else oh okay uh, i can't remember who it was now but david bowie needed a sax part and he was a sax player right but he wanted he wanted somebody else to come in and play he got his sax player his sax teacher to come in and play you know why was it because nobody who played, let's say, in an orchestra or in a jazz band would belittle themselves by playing on a, you know, on a rock record? Right. You know, mm -hmm. was it that or was it just a, a shout out to his teacher? Like, yeah, I think it's very possible. I mean, I remember the um, the Funk Brothers, you know, the session musicians, the Funk Brothers, right? Yeah. F-U-N-K. 
Settle down. Man, take it easy there. <laughs> Stay in your seats, kids. <laughs> Seatbelts on. Holster your weapon. <laughs> but the Funk Brothers, I remember the piano player from that group. And these are guys that played with everybody, right? It, it was like the um, the, Mich- the the Muscle Shoals. Yes. The, the Swampers, right? Yep. Like, it was like these these guys, there were certain session players that played as a band for everybody, right? Yeah. The keyboard, the piano player for the Funk Brothers was saying that at the time, jazz, bebop was the big thing when he got into that group, when he started to do that session work. And he was so embarrassed to be playing like with R&B groups and with rock and roll or whatever, because yeah. he wanted to be seen as a, as a jazz musician. He knew the stuff, he could play it, right? But the money was in the studio sure. doing that stuff to have that that frame of mind nowadays even back then i mean he wouldn't he wouldn't have he may not have done nearly as well right right but to have that frame of mind nowadays you just you can't you can't make money if you're just going to think that way right you know what you do as a, as a performer that's your job as a band leader and performer right but you also have other other things that you're doing. You, yes. You own the the, the the terrace. Yeah. Or you're one of, one of the owners of the terrace. Yeah. You know. And to just think, I have to do this one thing, and that's it. You're going to be a very hungry person. Yeah. You know. Well, you know, and, and you know, you don't want to tell people what to do or what not to do. What I what I think for me that's worked out really well is to stay flexible, stay as relevant as you can. You know, yeah, that's know part where, of it too. where the where the where the bread is buttered. Yeah. You know, because you can choose a path and then there's no money in it. And then you got to Then you kind of got to go. OK, because think about right now. You posted this thing on Twitter the other day about uh, Def Leppard and Motley Crue's tour making 137 million million dollars. Yeah. One tour. Yep. Which is the, the highest grossing for either band in their entire career. Right. At the age of whatever, 60 or whatever, however old they are. My commentary on that, just to say quickly, I looked it up. 1988, I think it was, a concert ticket was $25. Uh Try and get a concert ticket for $25 nowadays. And older acts like that, and and Billy Joel has a a house gig at Madison Square Garden. Well, Cher, Elton John, Sting, Celine Dion, they all have Vegas, Vegas things. So live music is still alive in that regard. But, you know, it's kind of like the uh, making money from from record sales, from CD sales anymore. I mean, it's done. Let's go through the list here. Okay. The first one on this list, this is the D, uh, DK, what is it? DK-MBA.com. Think how to make money with music. And that's 40 ways. Let's just do it quickly. We'll do a, a, a lightning round. Okay. Collect royalties from streams. And we're not talking about going to the washroom. But uh, Spotify streams. Um, Apple Music, etc. Which is so small. It's such a small revenue. Like unless you're a big star, sure. Yeah, right? and I mean, and I, they actually, I think Spotify. I don't know if Apple probably does too. Will pay artists to exclusively go with them. Mary Spender does uh, a YouTube channel now, and she does a little talk on how much she made off like a million plays. How much was it? I, I forget. I'd have to do the research. I'll put the link in. It was very small, right? It's it's an advertising tool that you don't have to pay for. Right. That's what it is. It's not a revenue stream. So second is play live shows and gigs. So we've talked about that. 
Yeah, and if you have to pay the house, it's like being a taxi driver, man. You, yeah. you do all the work and you have to pay. Well, I mean, back know. home, that's the way it is. That's one of the reasons why I came over to China was because things were drying up yeah. back home. We were getting back threes, three nights a week. I used to do six-nighters. Right. And even here right home now, town to town. even in a city where music, live music has been historically quite a big thing, you know, mm-hmm. I was talking to a guy the other day and he said, I'm struggling to find a gig and everybody wants us to be the house musicians. We have to commit to... Thursday to Sunday, I think it is. Okay. This is a foreigner? Yeah. Yeah. Like that? Yeah. Um, and he was saying like, <laughs> but they're not paying us what some other people will pay us. So if a Friday gig comes along, I have to turn it down because I'm the house musician right. at a place that might not get anybody in more stability. Well, and that's the other thing. Uh, the reality about playing music here as an expat is that you pretty much have to commit if you're going to do it legally. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and by the book, the visa and all that kind of you've stuff, got to right? commit to a house gig right. for at least three to six months, usually a year. Right. And that's I mean, in Terrace, that's we've, we've had some of those. Some of our musicians have been with us since we early days, early anyway. days, yeah. not since we opened, but early days. Number three, teach one on one music classes online. Mm-hmm. Ivana, uh, Lucas's teacher has been working with Lippert like 16 years or 18 years or something like but not doing online, right? That's that's a more No, recent. that's very new. That, that Is that because about? of COVID? Or? I believe so, yeah. 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 Sell courses. So this is, I mean, you bought Rick Beato the other day? Yeah, but Rick Beato talks about that. He's He just did a video on YouTube about being a YouTuber, podcaster, etc. for seven years. And that's usually the lifespan, he says. Usually the lifespan of a YouTuber is seven years. Really? I must have done some research on that. I'm curious. I, Knowing the guy, the way that he does his podcast, he yes, probably did. exactly. That's exactly what I thought. But it was interesting because he was talking about how he started out. I remember watching his early videos when he was trying to be, I interpret it like he was trying to be the Solomon Khan, the Khan Academy of Music. Right. And he said that it was not, nobody was signing up. Nobody was buying the course. Nobody was like, they made hundreds of videos that are amazing. If you ever watch them, they're yeah. like really in-depth. They're his approach. But... Is this what is this what you what you picked up the other day? Is this what you bought? Uh, no, what he does now it's a lot slicker. It looks better. I mean, he's got that much experience. He's got the equipment now, etc. It's still him approaching it the same way. Like just his interval training in the ear training part. Yeah, I would pay for that. Just yeah. that part, and that's one of a whole list. Yeah. My point being that selling courses, yeah, it might be a revenue stream, but anything that we've mentioned so far is got to be one of a list of many things because the revenue that's going to come in is yeah. not going to pay your rent. Well, the percentages are there, right? I mean, on that chart that you had, yes, the percentages are there. Yeah. Podcast editing. How about that for a niche? Yowza. Yeah. I could be making money doing this. Hmm. Notice a podcast with loads of audio mistakes and think you can do better? <laughs> Approach that product host with your services and offer to enhance their sound quality with your music production skills. Well, you know, I mean... It's it, it takes time. We have these conversations and it's a lot of fun, right? But it's also a lot of editing. It's a lot of work when I have to go back and edit out all the p- 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 stuff that's happening, you know? And Peter Piper picked a peck of pickle peppers. That's going to be just... If Peter Piper picked a peck of pepper peppers. That's an hour and a half of my time right there. <laughs> <laughs> Become an influential playlist curator. Spotify has playlist curators. Yeah, that's become big business, right? Like, yeah, But how do you make money doing that? That's what I don't get. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. Where does the money come from? Oh, some playlist curators can charge for spots on their playlists. Okay. Uh, he says, whilst I don't strictly agree with this as a revenue stream. So it's payola. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Paul Hyde, Bob Rock, you might have heard of them. The yes, payolas. the payolas. 
Lips I sense. No, the the um. A danger. No, hammer on a drum. Oh yeah. This comes down like a hammer on a That's drum. That's great stuff. My God, that was such a good song. Okay, here's I got one for you. Is this going to make me some money? Voice over work. I like this. Wait, I've got a I've got a proposal for you. A pair of Canadian musicians find out that life in China isn't all it's cracked up to be. Bad Guanchi. Next on HBO. You like that? Wow, you're good. I could I, be a voiceover guy. The drama teacher at this, one of the drama teachers at this school, um, was the voice of a cartoon character here in China when he first came here. I think he was in Hong Kong at the time, uh -huh. and then ended up moving into to teaching. I think he had, well, no, I think he had studied drama, went into teaching. But yeah, that that was a revenue stream that was actually making money for him. Voiceovers. Yeah. Sell your beats and samples. This I've heard of. Right. But there are a lot of people still doing that right now. Um, I could, I could. Well, think... somebody's doing it for Apple Music. Sure. Yeah. For, I mean, for sorry, for Apple, for GarageBand. So I mentioned a couple people, a couple producers in um, in the last episode. I was talking about some of the guys that are on, on Instagram and they're selling beats. I don't know what the revenue stream is on that, like what the percentage would be. Already. I imagine these are all, you know, you'd have to have all of these pieces put together to, to actually pay or, or some. There's 40 here. Get a record deal. That's not a big, you know, a big thing anymore. No. VIP experiences and packages for fans, crowdfunding music videos and releases. Well. Crowdfunding and Patre Patreon is a thing, right? I mean, that's how a lot of people get their money. Did they mention, okay, Patreon, yeah. I mean, did they mention just corporate gigs? Weddings, for God's sake. Yeah, weddings, yeah. bar mitzvahs. Yeah. <laughs> don't get me started. Video now. game sound design. Now, here's the thing. I don't know how big that was on the list, but I'll tell you something. It wasn't in there. It should be. It says it's one of the most profitable. It says they frequently have a healthy budget to throw at your experience. Well, for Look video at this games. chart. Gaming the most lucrative entertainment in industry by far. And we were talking about doing a podcast. I love video game music because it's yeah. so out there and you can just be crazy with your yeah. arrangements, right? Yeah. Making money with tipping on live streams. So that's where you do a live stream and people, they give you- Kind of the Patreon thing where it says, buy me a coffee. Yeah. Collect public performance royalties. Not the same. Oh, that's just like, you know, the uh, BMI and, and ASCAP and all that. Oh, they, okay. they, they collect, like if, you, if your song gets played, Right. At a public venue. Sponsorships, which is how Beethoven and, and Mozart and those guys used mm -hmm. to make their... Sure. Writing for music publications. Yeah, so it'd okay. be like an article. Transcribe sheet music and lyrics. Transcribing music is play it on GarageBand and print. Yeah. Offering fan subscriptions. That's maybe. Yeah. Sell digital downloads. Yes, maybe. Mm -hmm. So that would be on Apple Music and Spotify. You, you can... In fact, I went to download an album, several albums recently... Uh, off because with my subscription, my Apple Music subscription, you can download stuff. But a lot of the albums now, they don't make all of the songs downloadable. Oh, okay. They don't even make them streamable. Wow. They're like, you know, you've got certain songs on the album that you can listen to and or download. And that is an interesting point because also the music industry, even as we're talking about this, is developing, right? So there are things, I mean, when you think about uh, LimeWire, Mm -hmm. from back oh, in the God, the you know? blast from the past right but yeah. at that time you could download everything for yeah. free and it was you have a napster the lawsuit around that right. too sure but so but that had a period where any one of us had access to it napster yeah. and limeware you know and they started charging people sure but, like criminally charging people okay right? but nowadays like we're all paying 10 bucks a month or something right? whatever it is which 
yeah, how else are people, musicians, going to make their money, right? Yeah, but if you and I are paying 10 bucks a month as, as opposed to what I used to spend on CDs and albums, holy smokes. Well, you know what I mean? Again, the industry's changed, right? Yeah. Uh, this one seems more plausible to me. Make money from your YouTube channel. Yes. Yeah. Right? Create custom jingles for vloggers and YouTubers. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, that's what I did for the for the for that film festival. It was actually a jingle, right? Could you do that it? for a consistent income stream? I think I could, could put that out there. I could become a go-to guy for that. Sure. Sell old gear and instruments. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> become a music manager. I mean, that's an interesting thing, actually, because what you talked about coming here to China, how did you decide to come to China rather than... No, I was placed here. The agent that we booked through introduced me to China. Okay, and that person, during some period of your career, made a percentage of what you made. Correct. Right? Yeah. That's I can a, see that nowadays being still... Sam Feldman in Vancouver is still a big deal as okay. far as booking there you go. overseas and, and, and around Canada for that matter. I mean, he still books uh, Randy Bachman and Brian Adams and... Yeah, I think I, I can see that being lucrative, yeah. Write songs for other musicians, recording talked. other bands and musicians. Yes. Recording other bands and musicians, you combine that with video game production, mm -hmm. video game music, and or, you know, scoring, creating guides and reviews, affiliate music business marketing create a tribute act i was going to mention the cheetles yeah the, remember the cheetles ian burns yeah. hello ian ian burns yeah i think they're still doing some form of that and i think that's a great idea dj at parties and events nowadays with the equipment that's available okay anybody can do that as long as you've built up your chops also if you're going to be a dj nowadays you can also do the marshmallow type thing or the or the uh you know the calvin harris or the those sorts of things. I'm choked that they don't have music score, uh, uh, TV and, and, and movie scoring. In here. I think maybe that's How something... How can that not be in there? That's something maybe we should talk more about and what does that look like today? Mm. You know, like right. just literally like the background music for a, for, a, for a TV show or for... I think we should maybe look the next episode, we should go a little deeper into what does songwriting, scoring for video games and movies, um, TV, what does that look like today? Because it doesn't mean that you have to know how to write all the music out, like when John Williams started, for example. No, you know? it doesn't. What it, what it means is that you need to know a little bit about drama, a little bit about you have to learn. So, yeah, we can get into that. Okay. It's, so let's let's think of that for the next episode is... Scoring. Just, just in general, scoring. right? Let's call it scoring. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Hans, that's great. Hans Zimmer. There you go. Like, we're definitely going to talk about... The him. Oingo Boingo We'll guy. talk about the Oingo Boingo. And I have to make an apology to my friend Warren, who's a digital artist who pointed out that we had made some mistakes in our, one of our episodes. What? Impossible. With all the research we do, oh. <laughs> I slaved over a hot computer <laughs> for hours. <laughs> we'll talk about that in the next episode. Thank you very much, my friend. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. Om, om. Om, om. Don't forget to like.